Thank you for inviting me. I'm really thrilled to be to be giving this talk. And I want really to start with a, a, a quite explicit welcome. I, I really want to welcome you all, uh, no matter where you've come from. And it's wonderful that you've all come from so many different places. Um, welcome, however you're feeling tonight. Uh, this is a this is a funny time of year, isn't it? We've we've had Christmas, which may have been wonderful, may have been very challenging. Um, welcome, whatever your experience of mindfulness. You might be tremendously experienced. You might be just starting out. Uh, welcome, whatever your background, whatever your race, um, whatever you know, whatever your gender and identity. Welcome to you all. Welcome to all the all the ways in which we're similar and which we're different. It's really important. So uh, it's quite a big group. So I'm not going to be able to relate that that well to you as a group, but I'll do my best. Um, and I hope you get I hope you get lots from it. I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing some of this with you. So I think the first thing to say really is that we all know about groups. Um, I think many of us are quite are quite nervous or quite sort of um, uh, cautious around teaching groups. But I think it's really important for us all to remember that we were all born into groups. Uh, we all we all grew up in groups. You know, we all went to school in groups. We we learnt I don't know we learnt recorder in groups probably. Um, you know, we we've we've done so much in groups throughout our life, and and actually we can learn from all of that, and we can bring that into our teaching. So we don't have to think to ourselves as being lacking experience in groups because that's that's not the case. Um, and I think the other thing is to really think to ourselves, well, you know, why why is a group so important? Because actually, it's only recently that we've been learning about groups in the context of mindfulness. Those of you who are psychotherapists and who work with group psychotherapy, you've probably done more than we have as a field. Um, but it's quite a new area for us in some ways. And I think there are lots of reasons for that that I'm not really going to go into. But uh, there is a little bit of research that's been done that I think is very interesting. And, and I kind of always smile about this because I've always loved groups and I've, my background is as a community worker. So groups have sort of been very much part of my work really for forever, I guess. Um, and it's quite interesting because this research asked participants and asked teachers in the same, I, I can't remember how many, but a number of groups or participants asked and there were the teachers of those groups asked. And they were asked about various things around the, the, the mindfulness program. And the teachers didn't mention groups at all. They didn't mention groups as being a significant part of their teaching. But the participants put the group experience almost top of their list of what mattered to them in terms of what they enjoyed and how they learnt. Which I think is very interesting that over the years, you know, as participants, we've known how important groups are, but actually as teachers, we have been so busy very often, and there's so much to learn as a, as a group leader or as a mindfulness teacher, there's so much to learn about the content, about the program, um, about everything we have to, all the skills we need to develop to become decent teachers, really. Um, so that's, that's worth thinking about, that the participants find groups very important. So it's important that we kind of raise the volume of awareness of our groups um, in our teaching. So um, I'm going to, to share a little bit. I'm going to go to the um, slides now, and I'm going to kind of be going backwards and forwards in the slides quite a bit. So I hope you'll, you'll live with that. Um, 
So here's here's just the holding slide with um with uh yeah with the title of the talk and this inside out group approach. Um, and that's my that's my logo at the top, which I absolutely love, was drawn for me by one of my neighbours in North Wales. And he appeared to do it really quickly, and he admitted to me later that it actually had taken him hours. <laughs> but I love it. Uh, or this sort of daisy, this sort of graphic daisy, so I thought I'd include it. Um, and um, here we go. Um, let's go back to the bench. So before we look at the overview and and maybe before we, we go much further, let's just pause for a moment on my beautiful oak bench, which in fact is pictured here in North Wales, um, but has come with me to Oxfordshire, of course. Um, so perhaps you could imagine that your, your seat is like this big oak bench. You could just pop yourself onto it and just come into this moment as a, a sense of, you know, just pausing and noticing what's going on right now. How am I feeling right now? Perhaps awareness of the body. Perhaps awareness of mood of mind. And then if you'd like to, simply coming to a sense of your feet on the floor. A real sense of points of contact, of weight going down. And just of landing, landing in this moment. And you'll see on this bench that there's some rosemary that used to grow quite rampantly and I would every now and again cut it back. Um, but it was such a nice thing to have beside you on the bench. You could just drift your hands and get a lovely smell of, of rosemary as you were there. Okay, so let me share with you uh, what we're going to cover tonight. So we're going to look at this, this IOG. It's, a, it's quite an ugly name, I think, but inside out group model. So it's known as the IOG model. Um, and we'll just have a quick overview of it first. And then we'll go through the different elements. Uh, and there are these uh, five elements of the model. It's very simple, uh, but there's quite a lot within each one. So that's really what we wanted. We wanted a simple model that could incorporate a level of depth, I guess. And then really, uh, you know, what's it all about? Why is the group so important? And, and what is its potential to add value? And I haven't got a lot of time for that, but we'll just drop into that at the end. Um, so let's just look at the, the model in summary. You might need to move your, your little thumbnails. Um, they will go at the top if they, yes, they will behave and go at the top if you'd like them to. Um, so here's the model, and as you see, it's very, very simple. And if any of you are taking notes, you just can, can capture it on your paper. It's just a circle. It's a triangle within the circle. The triangle obviously touches the circle at three places. And then inside the circle, you've got inside out embodying, which is really the teacher, the teacher's inside out embodying, which I'll, I'll speak to you about. Um, and I like this very much because it's an equilateral triangle. So it's almost as if the triangle has got its feet on the floor. It's really quite nicely structured, quite nicely kind of um, stabilized there. And then you've got these three little, I never know what to call them, little fillets almost of the, of the, of the um, circle. 
Um, and we call them um, capacities, but you know, we could call them practices, we could call them skills, we could call them cultivations. Uh, and they've all got ING words, so they're all in process. So they're reading, reading the group, holding the group, befriending the group. And in fact, when we first wrote the article in, in 2019, the three of us, Gemma, myself and, and Rebecca Crane, um, Inside Out was embodiment. Uh, and that at that stage, interestingly, embodiment was a noun, was a state, if you like. And the recent um, update of the MBI TAC has very much changed it to embodying, which I think is a very good development um, and very much sort of speaks of the process of cultivating. This isn't something that we can just say, okay, I'm now embodied or I've now got embodiment. It's it's a, it's a, an ongoing cultivation, really. Yeah. So that's the the overview. Um, and as you see, we we wrote the article uh, in the first place, um, and then uh, last year. No, it wasn't last year. <laughs> it was the year before last. Goodness. Hang on, I'm trying to get to the next um, to the next slide. It doesn't want to do it. So. Um, yes, there it is. So there we are. Here's the book uh, that we wrote in 2022. So feels like last year, but actually it's not. It's um, it's the year before. Um, and it's got a nice cover. Um, I'm a great believer in wildflowers. So all my, my three mindfulness books have all got wildflowers on them, which is nice. So there you go. Um, and let's um, let's come out of the slides. Um, and and just uh, just take another little pause. So you've got the you've got the circle, you've got the triangle, and you've got these three these three capacities that that we're going to speak and we're going to explore a little bit more. So let's now sort of move into things in a little bit more detail. But perhaps before we do, I just want to obviously state the obvious that this is a talk. Um, there's going to be chances for you to ask questions, which will probably be the most interesting part of the evening. Um, um, but in uh, in a week or two's time, there's, there's going to be a couple of workshops. Um, and that will be a chance to explore this in a lot more experiential way. Um, so that will be a chance to, to go through the same material, but in a way that, that you'll actually be engaged in it and not just taking notes and, and listening to me chatting on. Yeah, so I hope some of you, well, I, I hope there'll be enough spaces for everybody who wants to, to sign up. Okay, so, um, yeah, I think, I think before I kind of go into the detail of the model, I, I think I really just want to overview it uh, with, with two key principles, really, that, that the group is so important for. And really everything that we do in group, we want to ensure is safe and inclusive. So we've got these two kind of key, um, two keys, I guess, uh, of ensuring that everything we do is, is really supporting the safety of the group, the safety of the individuals in the group, and a way of including and, and involving everybody, if possible, as much as possible in the group, in a way that's relevant and appropriate for, for them and, and, and where they're up to and how they're feeling and so on. Um, but that's tremendously important. So safety and inclusivity are the kind of watchwords that we're looking at all the way through. Um, 
So let's, with that in mind, let's let's go back into the slides and um, and just explore Eve all those different all those different um, aspects of the model one by one. So here we go. Um, so this is the first one, which sort of seems very simple. Of course, it's uh, incredibly zen, isn't it? Just a beautiful blue circle on a white background. It's very kind of, it's very groovy. <laughs> um, I love blue. Um, so I chose blue as my kind of theme color throughout the slides. Um, but the circle is the group. Um, and actually in the days before lockdown, we mostly worked in circles, didn't we? We mostly worked um, in person and our, and our participants were invariably sitting in a circle and we would sit in the circle with them. Um, and there was all sorts of practices around that that circle, that that shape. And our challenge now, uh, particularly obviously when we work online, is to try and transpose that sense of circle onto the screen. And there are ways that we can do that. We can't do the shape of it, obviously, but we can we can keep in mind this this sort of sense of continuum, the gestalt of the circle, the sense of the flow, the sense of the the interconnection um uh the, the the relationship if you like of the participants in the circle and even though they're on the screen um if possible trying to stay with just one screen that's quite difficult um you know because uh for many people that's only 25 um but increasingly as we educate our participants um they can actually change their video settings to 49 and that will get, then get us you know, a few more people on the screen, even though the pictures get smaller and smaller and smaller. And our soldies, you know, have to sort of move our specs to be able to see everybody there. But it is helpful to have everybody on one screen. It really is valuable. And obviously, if we're working in person, then what we're doing all the time is we're scanning the circle. You know, if I was working with you in a circle now, or even if you were all in one room, I would be moving my head from one side to the other so that I could actually notice the people in the corners, notice the people at the edges, not just be talking to the people at the front, um, in the front in the front row or in the front few rows, because that's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on, on the people who are most sort of front of mind, kind of perhaps in the middle of the screen, we would focus. And I think one of the things that we learn quite quickly is that we can actually move people around on the screen. I'm sure many of you know that, that we can actually you know, use our mouse and we can move people into the center of the screen. And that's quite helpful. I tend to do that if I notice somebody hasn't spoken very much, I'll actually move them into the center so that I'm looking at them. Uh, they, they don't know that, but but I'm really then aware of little, little inferences of engagement or nodding or something like that it can, it can be quite helpful. So really what we're doing um, all the time is we're investing in 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 the in the group as an entity in its own right, you know we're 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 noticing or we're really relating to the fact that there's there's me here as teacher or there's you as teacher, um, and then there's the individual participants who obviously we're still very invested in, we're still very aware of how the individuals are getting on, but we also have this extra extra character if you like extra entity in the room or on the screen. And I think it's very helpful to be constantly coming back to that, to that sense of group as an entity in its own right that has its own character. It has its own 
body, it has its way of doing things. Every group is different, which is why they're so fascinating. They're, they're so interesting and so challenging at times. I mean, often so challenging, um, but also engaging and, 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 really, and really fascinating. Yeah. And of course, one of the things that helps that helps us very much in terms of this this whole group entity is to actually then break the group up into small groups. So we're having breakout rooms. And, and that's that's important that people go into the breakout rooms, they then meet some individuals, and then they come back into the into the main room again. And that's very important that we do this movement of people going into different groups, moving, changing the constituencies of all those little groups, which actually, of course, on Zoom, um, Zoom does it for us, but not as well as we think it does. So just watch that. We think that, you know, if we just set up a random group, that Zoom will automatically change people around and it'll be a brand new group. Well, often Zoom just moves one person down a, down a, down to the next group and you've, you've got sort of three people still in the previous group. So changing things around as much as possible is really, really helpful. Yeah. Okay, so... You know all of these we could we could speak an awful lot of time with with all of these but but let's just move on now and let's move on now to this inside out embodying so um back to the back to the slides um yeah back to my bench um and here we have the inside out embodying which uh, again is is lovely isn't it in that in that blue triangle um and this is really the the job of of the teacher or the job of the group leader, because some of you, not all of you will be teaching mindfulness, I know. So forgive me when I'm, I tend to be relating mostly to mindfulness, but um, those of you who are leading groups in, in other kind of fields, I think, I think this will be quite helpful still. Um, so this inside out, and, and just let's, you know, state the obvious that the inside is the inside of the teacher. It's the presence, it's the practice, it's the groundedness of the teacher. Or the groundedness of the of the group leader, um, and the out is the way in which that's that's then offered out into the group, and it's this this kind of this sort of movement that we're doing really quite a lot of the inside out. You know, if we think of guiding, we guide from the inside. We guide from our own practice, our own experience of whatever the practice is, and then we offer the words out, and we offer the presence out, we offer the intention out. Uh, we offer the embodying out and it goes out to the group and then and then it comes back again. So initially, this feels a little bit like a seesaw when we're learning this as a new teacher. This this can feel a bit sticky. It can feel a bit sort of technical. But actually, in time and in no time at all, it, it becomes a flow. Uh, and sometimes we need to spend more time on the inside, um, uh, probably particularly when the group is a bit unsettled and we're leading a practice. It's quite interesting that the best way of helping a group to settle is to really invest in one's own, in one's own embodiment, in one's own uh, embodying of mindfulness and practice, and then to be offering that out into this bit like a dialogue, a conversation. And that's true also in the inquiry. It's also true in the exercises that we're doing. Um, so this inside out is a is a constant uh, uh, a constant practice really, and one of the things that 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 I tend to that we tend to emphasize a great deal of is the is the role of the brief practice. Um, so in MBCT we're very used to short practices. You know the 
the lovely breathing spaces that we've inherited um, from our three MBCT original teachers, you know, just absolutely superb. And a brief practice to my mind is, is nothing like as long as, um, as, long as a, a, a breathing space. Um, it might be just a, a second or two. It might be um, just literally a landing. I mean, we could do it now, just feet on the floor now, just finding your feet, there they are, and then coming back again, and then coming back to the screen again. So it could be, it could be really very brief. And I think as teachers, it's tremendously helpful to have these, these kind of moments of landing, these moments of just feet, of seat, of pause, what's going on now? Of, of maybe the breath, if that's the place that you land into, um, maybe the breath and the feet. Uh, you know, it, we, we cultivate our own, our own ways of doing this, but as teachers, we need to be all the time coming back into this embodying of this moment and what's needed here and actually taking our time with that, um, which has really helped to slow me down, although not as much as I think it's needed. Um, but, but, you know, just, just this, you know, we're, we're, we're landing as we teach, we're landing outside of our teaching. We're, we're really embodying all of this and the brief practices are very helpful. So we'll be doing quite a lot of brief practices um, in the workshops that uh, later this month. The other thing to say about embodying, which I, 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 think, I, I think a lot about actually, is that we're really embodying something all the time. I mean, this, this kind of landed with me and, um, and I, you know, it may be that um, this, you know, you guys have known this all along, but this in some ways to me is constantly fascinating that, you know, sometimes we're embodying boredom. I, I hope you're not embodying boredom now, but, you know, you might be. You might be exhausted from you know, still from the from the leftovers of New Year's Eve celebrations and things. So you might be embodying tiredness or sleepiness. You might be embodying hunger because you didn't have time to eat before um, before the before the session. So we're actually embodying something all the time, and often it's just automatic. It's just leaking out from us in a way. Um, and I think that's really quite interesting that embodying can be can be really just as much automatic pilot. Um, as, as anything, you know, the numbers of times we have conversations with people and you think, hey, come on, you know, you're not really with me, you know, let's, let's, let's really connect in this, yeah? So inside out embodying is inclusive of values. It's inclusive of our own learning as teachers. It's inclusive of, um, of, those, of, that, of that wish that our groups are safe and inclusive. Um, and it's also inclusive of uh, of uh, the teachings of the themes that we're teaching. You know, it might be might be that we're embodying, uh, you know, coming back from automatic pilot. You know, we're we're actually embodying that. We're embodying the practice of turning towards. We're embodying a, a friendliness or a, a kindness within what we're doing. So it's very helpful to be thinking all the time as teachers. You know, what are we embodying as we hold this circle or we hold the screen? in that blue triangle, what is it that we're actually embodying on the inside and what are we offering out? Okay, so let's come back to the bench. And let's just take a little pause. I'm gonna have a sip of water. And maybe just for yourself choosing 
choosing a brief practice in this moment, perhaps putting your pen down. And just in this moment, with your eyes open or your eyes closed, it's entirely up to you. Just choosing a brief practice to come back to. Something very simple to land into. Okay. So, on we go. And this time we're going to now explore the three little um, capacities. That's what Gemma calls them on the outside. And this first one, reading, we've probably got the most to, to speak about. Um, so it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to come out, I think. Am I going to come out? No, I'm not going to come out. I'm going to stay with the slides for a moment. Um, it's quite interesting to be thinking about what, what does this mean, this reading the group? You know, we normally think about reading, reading words or reading books or, you know, reading the screen in some way. But actually, it's quite useful, I think, to think about reading the group. And maybe maybe we will come out of the, the slides for a moment and just come back into the group and maybe maybe switching to gallery view if you'd like to. So if you can just move to gallery view and just looking at looking at the screen and just be noticing what, what you notice as you read the screen or read the screens. So you might be noticing individuals. Probably I probably think, oh, yeah, I know her. Oh, I've been on the training course with her or oh, I've done some some work with her. But you might also notice if you're trying to move away from individuals and just look at the the wider awareness of the group, and you, you can obviously move to another screen as well. You might want to just notice things like movement, color. You might notice what people's eyes are doing. You might get a, a just a, a just sort of linking into a sense of, you know, how are they? How's, how's it going for people? You know, are they looking bored? I, I often get muddled between bored and thinking, reflecting. I used to work a lot with local people in South Africa and I often used to think, are they really bored? And I'm thinking about it now, they weren't bored. They were just like working out, what was I on about? <laughs> yeah. And I think very often we have our own interpretations, which aren't necessarily very helpful. But I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this group as, uh, you know, some smiles, some engagement, some friendliness, some warmth. Still lovely, actually. Quite still, not that much movement. Very often on the screen, when we see a lot of movement, and and people sort of doing this and that, it very often means they're not very present, obviously. But no, this is this is really this is really lovely. So, so that was nice. So let's go back to the slides, unfortunately, because I think people are much more interesting than slides, really. But there you go. Hmm. Um, so I want to go back to reading. And uh, 
I want to share with you something that I'm sure I'm sure many, I think more than half of you have, have heard of Tuckman, Bruce Tuckman, American guy who was working very much with organizations. And he came up with a very nice model of the stages of group development. So there's the, the reference at the bottom if you want to read it. Um, and normally the Tuckman uh, stages are, are kind of um, described as a circle. And I thought, you know, I'm not happy with the circles. I thought I would I would try it more as a wave. Um, and just to share with you, uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this forming. We'll talk about forming. So this is the very beginnings of the group. And the group has to form. I mean, the group will form anyway, really, but we'd like it to form in a way that's safe and inclusive. That's what we're going for, isn't it? So the beginnings of the group, um, this forming needs quite a bit of attention. Here we are, got my little thing there. Um, and then what often happens is that we then, the next phase is this storming phase, which lot, many of us are quite nervous about, you know, what, what's gonna happen when the group storms? Help, you know, is it all gonna get a bit chaotic and out of control? Um, and actually in, in reality, the storming of the group is very important. And, you know, mindfulness groups on the whole are very polite. So, you know, <laughs> wish that we weren't. I wish that we were a little bit more raw and a little bit more, a uh, little bit more, uh, less polite, less middle class, you know, much more, uh, you know, much more real and, and, and open in some ways. Um, because then, you know, storming would sort of show itself instead of being a kind of internal process, storming would show itself a bit more on the outside as, very important aspect of the group where we check out, is this teacher safe? Is this place somewhere where I can be myself? Is this a, a group where I can actually learn and do what I came here to do? And in some ways, you know, it's it's quite valuable for, for there to be some storming because that's, a, that's an inevitable group phase that, that needs to happen really. For the group to then mature into norming, what sort of group are we going to be? Are we going to be a chatty group, a, a humorous group, a, a loving group, or, I don't know, a quick group, a slow group, whatever, uh, the sort of group that we're going to be. And then this performing, this is where the group really flies and the teacher or the group leader can step back and really give give more space to the group to, to find its own way of learning. And then, of course, we come to the end of the journey. So that looks all very tidy and it in reality is nothing like as tidy as that. So I've messed it up a bit. <laughs> and, and just to see that actually the forming at the beginning, um, I, I my experience is that, that, you know, you can get some performing in the first session of an eight week course. It's great. You know, the group sort of comes together and it's like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can you can get some lovely moments very early on in the group. But then the group sort of separates for a little bit and has to then reform. And that's very important. We continually reinvest in this forming. And then maybe the group goes to norming and maybe it's not safe enough to storm yet. And then maybe we go back to forming and then there's some storming at some point, which is often internal, as I say, you know, in different ways. So thinking to ourselves, you know, what is the stage? Where is the group up to right now? You know, is it very early group? Is it very, is it quite a young group? Um, you know, where where where's it up to uh, is, is really quite helpful. And to develop this sort of gut sense of, 
of group development, I think is very helpful. The body language, just an internal sense of, you know, how is this group? How is it feeling to me? We can often get this when people come back from a breakout room and maybe there's been a bit of a, a tricky moment in the breakout room and we can often pick that up. You know, when they come back to the big group, mm, I wonder what happened in the breakout. We may never know, um, but it's quite helpful just to just to kind of tune into that. Okay. So this forming um, is 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 really important, and I, and I just want to spend a little bit more time on it. Not not too much because of the constraints of time anyway, but just a little bit more time. Um, so. Forming requires time and understanding. It requires patience. It requires requires thinking about things really, um, and it's 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 really tremendously important. Um, and of course, part of you know part of uh, forming is the whole business of welcome, whole business of actually how do we welcome people into the group? You know, how can we do that in a way that that makes people feel that or enables people to feel that they've been seen and heard and and are welcome so our own embodiment our own our own embodying of that welcome is, at the beginning is is tremendously important yeah so let's let's look at that so forming the group uh, i think the forming of the group has three pillars and the first one is how do we establish safety? And this has some has much more than is here, but but let's just stay with with what the kind of headlines are. So we need to be looking at boundaries, both external boundaries and internal boundaries. The external boundaries is who belongs to this group, who's actually a member of this group. So that if somebody comes into the room who actually isn't a member, then we take appropriate and um, relevant action um to scoot them out hopefully politely but firmly <laughs> so that we're left with just the group members uh, i once had um very briefly i once had somebody bring their mother-in-law along to a week six in an eight-week course and, and she said oh i've been enjoying it so much i thought my mother-in-law would really enjoy it well help it was very tricky it was very very tricky um ground rules are important and the internal boundaries are how the group responds and how they relate to each other that's quite important and the orientation the, the pre preparation for the program is all tremendously important it's all to do with the group as well and then we've got this cultivating of inclusivity so the welcome i've mentioned the small groups um, the way of acknowledging people's contributions you know looking for the nods that we might spot um, when we're doing an inquiry um, or when we we kind of pose a question and you can see somebody nodding, maybe maybe just acknowledging, oh, you, you know, I can see some of you, that's landing for some of you, yeah. And actually building a practice community, which those of you who are working in psychotherapy, that's a little bit different, but those of us working in, in mindfulness, you know, building a practice community is, is hugely important. It's a, another tool that we have as group leaders, as mindfulness group leaders. Um, that that actually we we in a group we we practice together you know we get our feet on the floor together we we engage in inquiry together um, and horizontal inquiry has a has a huge uh, contribution to make to the group which we'll explore in the workshops so forming the group has these 
these three areas of establishing safety, cultivating inclusivity, and building this community of practice, this interrelatedness that many people who come to mindfulness programs, mindfulness sessions, will speak of as something that was really very precious, this sense of interrelatedness um, that we so badly need in the world, frankly. So the, the other aspect, and, and this is probably the biggest, um, uh, um, how would I say it? The biggest, um, I can't think of the word actually, regret, that's the word. The biggest regret for me in the talk today um, is that this is going to, this slide is going to cover absolutely vast areas and we have no more time than just to give it a couple of minutes. So please accept my apologies that this is huge stuff here. So the group membership factors are really the ways in which we uh, we are influenced about belonging to groups, the whole kind of issues around belonging or not belonging. Uh, there are lots of groups, I'm sure all of us who have been members of may, may not have felt that we belonged to, and it's such an awful experience to, to want to belong to a group but not really feel there's a place for us. So our own personal histories have a huge impact, have a huge influence here our early families, um, our school experiences, um, our early teams of work or our early experiences of being in different, different work groups or organizational groups. So all of these, particularly our first families, have a, a big influence on how we manage the process of joining a group, of how we manage the process of, 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 um, of being a group member, of how we are in groups really. And it probably influences tremendously how we relate to authority or how we relate to the teacher. You know, those of us who are group leaders or, or mindfulness teachers, we don't see ourselves as authority, but we are. You know, we are we are figures of authority and people will, will relate to us uh, in, in similar ways to the way that they would normally relate to authority, you know, to some extent. So personal history is a huge one. And then of course, social constructs uh, are the other absolutely huge factor that we need an awful lot more learning and reflection on, an awful lot more. Um, I think that, that many of us, uh, all of us really, uh, are only just beginning to realise how important this is. I think as a, as a field, as a mindfulness field, and I'm sure as a psychotherapy field it may be a bit different, but I don't think it's probably that different. Um, we haven't given enough space and time to look at the impact of social constructs. And I think we, we kind of imagine that our groups, you know, that doesn't really affect our groups. You know, our groups are our mindfulness people and, and all of that. I'm, I'm being deliberately provocative here, but the reality is that, that all the stuff that's going on in society, all the stuff that's going on outside the room or the other side of the screen is impacting on the groups that we teach. It's impacting on the... Um, on the on the on the way that that people are influenced about being in groups. Uh, I mean, this is just such a huge area. So all the issues around gender and race and age and identity and background and so on, and many others, many other factors that are visible and invisible, um, are coming into our groups and are playing out actually in the groups, um, and playing out in ourselves as teachers. You know. Um, yeah, and they influence how others relate to us. They influence how people in groups are, are related to and how we relate to others. And this is particularly the case when we have somebody in a group that's 
perhaps on their own, you know, one person of colour, one older person, one man, yeah, one person from the Far East. Um, you know, it's 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 very important. And trauma, of course, is the last one. And these three are are not separate personal history, social constructs, and trauma. They they are all interrelated. It's very important to see that that many many people are traumatized by the social constructs that they've had to experience. And many people are traumatized by early family history. So that's a huge area, absolutely huge. Um, and I need to crack on because I'm seeing the time. Um, so let's just take a, a little pause here because we've covered some quite big territory. And perhaps with your eyes open, just having a look at the green of the rosemary. That's just breathing with that, with that huge rosemary bush. I hope it's still there. And a feeling of feet on the floor, of landing. And of noticing how is this body right now? How's the heart right now? Okay, so moving on to holding. And holding is a difficult one to talk about because it's such an experiential factor in, in group, in group teaching and group holding, group, group leading. Um, some people would call this containing the group. Uh, the, the, the classic kind of um, analogy, if you like, is which I like very much, is, is the image or the, the, the kind of story really of a, of a caregiver taking a youngster to a park, a play park. And I'm very lucky because I've got a baby park just outside my window here. And I love looking out the window and seeing the, the little ones, you know, play in the park and, and the, the different wooden um, equipment that they play with and how they how they relate to it differently as they get older. And holding the group is a little bit like a little bit like taking a youngster to a play park. And when the youngster is very young and, and perhaps just toddling, then in fact the caregiver or the mum or the grandparent needs to hold the hand of the little one because they're wobbly and they haven't nearly got sort of steady feet. And that's a bit like how we are in the early days of a, of a new group, new program group or a new session group. We need to be quite structured. We need to sort of really be very present there with, with the group, very, not exactly vigilant, but very aware and holding quite actively. And then we go back to the play park and of course the little one grows up and goodness they, they grow up so quick. So in three years I've seen some of the little tots, you know, sort of, you know, sort of be a bit be a bit wobbly, and now they're they're running off to the swings, you know, and they're they're much they're much older. But in between whiles, you know, they're probably able to get places and the and the the caregiver can kind of let them have an explore, but she or he or they are are there on hand. To, to kind of catch them if it's needed or or to you know to intervene when it's needed and then later on you see the the, the the parents sitting on the on the bench and the kids playing almost independently but the, they're looking up you know that they're, they're aware and when the bigger kids come in through the gate with their bikes and their footballs and you know much more active then you can see the parents being ready to move in and, and we need to be like that not like parents but just be 
be aware of where the group is, of what it's ready for, of whether it's actually in the mood to experiment and explore, have a go at things, or whether it actually needs a bit more hand-holding, a bit more repeating of the task. Um, so holding is, is infinitely uh, interesting um, and, and different at different stages of the group. So it obviously links with reading very carefully, very well. And then we have, uh, and then we have befriending the last of these three capacities. And it says, you know, it's the last, but actually it's been there all along. It's like kindness, you know, it's embedded and embodied uh, and brought into, um, into the group from the very beginning, from the very first welcome, from the very first email that we send out to a participant who's showing an interest in coming on one of our groups. Um, it's there, you know, all the way through and, um, hang about, I've gone the wrong way. Um, um, yeah, it's there all the way through and it's it's often shows itself in a in a kind of lightness, perhaps. I think, you know, and a, a bit of humor or a bit of fun, you know, a bit of a bit of um a bit of irony, maybe. Um I, I think it's it's tremendously important. Um and Certainly in the book, we we brought in the four friends for life and big thanks to to Eric and Fritz, Eric van der Brink and, and Fitz Crossler, who who uh, translated the Aprimanas or the Brahma Viharas, as we know them in the Buddhist um, terms, into four friends for life, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful terms. And um, we've hang on, my slides are misbehaving a little bit. Um, there we are. There we are. Okay, got them back. So we've changed the wording a little bit uh, just to suit what, what we were wanting. So the first one we call care and kindness. Uh, and then the second we we moved we moved up to appreciation and contentment, sort of really resourcing compassion that comes next. And groundness and balance. And if you want to explore this a bit more, there's a whole chapter in the book about the four friends for life and how we relate these to the group and how we can we can bring these practices um, into our group leading into our teaching both informally and formally um, off the off the cushion you know on the cushion um, in the room on the screen and so on okay so i really just want to touch into the last slide um, which for me is almost the most important of them all um, which is the, the potential of the group to add value, um, the potential of the group to add value. And, and it seems really self-evident that when we learn mindfulness alongside our peers, when our participants learn alongside their peers, it's, um, it's so much richer. Uh, I mean, it's not very flattering to us, but as teachers, um, we take a back seat compared to the learning that people get from their peers. People learn so much better from their peers than they do from their teachers. And I think, you know, we would do well to remember that. Uh, I think we, we think we're, we're so central. And of course, we are central to the process. But actually, the more we can get this engagement of peer to peer, it's, it's, um, it, it's, just, it's just so much richer. So I just wanted to share with you a few ideas, and I think there are a lot more that we could actually bring on board, really. Um, but one of the things that we we learn in the group, in the mindfulness-based group or the psychotherapy group or whatever group we're in, to some extent, the group that's been formed and carefully held, 
um, is we, we gain group skills that we can take out with us. So maybe we can take these group skills out into teams. Maybe we, we can learn that, that actually it's okay to disagree without having to fall out with somebody. We don't have to be the same. That actually sometimes we can be very different with somebody, very different from somebody, and that actually that's very rich, very helpful. Uh, often in the mindfulness group, we, we, we're clarifying values. And this isn't something that happens a great deal in, in, in life very much. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think there are many places where I can where I can clarify my values or explore what really matters to me. I mean, there are some people in some places, but not that many groups. And I think that's it's really quite quite special uh, to clarify what really matters. And then I think the other thing that our mindfulness groups also give us um, is is a, a sense of belonging and community. You know, and and a, and a kind of hunger for that. Many people take that out with them away from the program. And finally, uh, you know, we're we're, in, we're increasingly widening from a sense of individual well-being to this more of a collective. You know, more of a sense of actually what's going on in the world. Yes, it's good for us all to be less stressed, um, to be more present. But actually, this needs to go wider. Mindfulness needs to do more than just that. So um, I've taken a bit longer than I intended, but there you go. That's how it happens. <laughs> so it's time for some for some questions. I don't know if um, Marion, if you collected any any questions. Yes, yes, we have some questions for you, Trish. First of all, thank you so much for for that talk. Um, there's a question about the group size and, and how this model plays out. Does it play out differently depending on whether it's a large group or a small group? Yes, I think it does. I, I think it always it's often said that a group isn't really a full group unless there's at least six people. Oh. So I think less than six people, five, you can just about be a group, but less than five, we're really working one to one. So I think that's worth thinking about. And yeah, then I so yeah. And then I think if you have more than 30, it's kind of a gang, really. Um, so we're a bit okay. of a gang tonight. <laughs> I remember working with a group of 80 people and it was it was um, it was it was very tough to hold 80 in a room. Yeah. But I think six, six to uh, the original MBCT size was was 12 to 15, I think, wasn't it? It was 12 or 13, a clinical group. 12 to 15 is is a lovely group size. Yeah. That's really interesting because that was also one of the one of the other questions. Is there an optimal group size? Which uh, which well, I think we have to yeah we have to look at context. Always look at context. If we're working with a if we're working with a, a quite a vulnerable group, we don't want huge numbers. Um, yeah, because we want to be able to hold what's in the room. So I think that's really important not to get too big. Yeah. So thank you. And I have another question. It's about um, Tuckman's model. Yeah. And, you know, going through the stages. And uh, the question here is, does it relate to, say, the sessions of perhaps an eight-week mindfulness program? Is there, a, is there a particular points where we might expect to see these stages mm -hmm. playing mm -hmm. out? It's a, really, it's a really good question, actually. And I think the answer is I don't know. I mean, I think that certainly the early stages of forming definitely relate to the early stages of the program. 
And I think we often get quite a lot of vulnerability in, say, weeks four and five, maybe even six. So, mm. you know, you could call that storming. You could call that performing. You know, just because there's vulnerability, it doesn't mean it's storming. It could be it could be where the group is really safe and inclusive and it's safe enough to really for people to move into vulnerability. And um, so I, I think it's a mistake to be too prescriptive about the stages because I think they're very dynamic. Um, but but I think that, you know, I think in one session you can you can go through a number of different stages. So I personally wouldn't. I know that in the, in the past when people have been writing essays about groups that I've been, you know, on the master's program and and it was always so tempting for people to say, well, you know, forming is sessions one, two and three or one, two and a bit. And it's very tempting, but I don't think it quite works. Right. OK, so so the stages are there to inform us, but not necessarily they're not prescript. They're not a prescription of what's likely to happen. Not, and they and they, you know, in, in one session, you could you could have three or four different stages, you know. OK, yeah. great. And there's also a question about does have you noticed the difference between in person groups and online groups yeah. in terms of the model? Yeah. yeah. Oh, in terms of the model, no, I think the model applies okay to both. But, you know, I think we all have a yen, don't we? For We would love to be going back to in-person groups uh, because they're, they're just so much more connecting. But I also think that it's surprising how good online groups are. It's surprising how how using all the same, all the same tools, if you like, that I've been describing this evening, um, you know, if we can get a really well-functioning, well-held group that's really formed and, and 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 is practicing and and embodied and so on i think i think they do very well yeah the online thank group does, does well okay thank you and we have uh, a question here might be our last question uh, from dean who's mentioned that you'd be interested to know how you dealt with the um <laughs> the person who brought the mother-in-law to the session. <laughs> I think there's well, quite I a lot of curiosity about that. I don't I said, know if you're able to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said something. I mean, inside, I have to say, my language was quite appalling. Internally, it was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? And it was one of those occasions where the smile was not very embodied, you know. Um, oh, because, like, I had to just go with it, didn't I? I had to go with it. But... Um, it wasn't it wasn't successful, obviously, uh, um, you know, it was it was very tricky. It was difficult to hold. And actually, what was interesting was that the daughter in law never came back. So the mother in law left and I had to say to them, you know, I'm sorry, you you can't stay, you know, stay for this session, but you can't come back. But the daughter in law didn't come back either. Mm. OK, so. um I'm just going back a little bit. One one last question. Going back a little yeah. bit to this thing about online groups being successful, but yeah. but are you able to identify how the connection differs between online and in person? Gosh. Well, I don't know if I can. I think I'd have to think about that. I think it's all about connection. It's all about belonging. I think you really can belong to an online group, but I think there might be a depth that is missing uh, compared to an in-person group. Um, I can see some nods around the room. So I yeah, think this, you yeah. know, but you know, it's, think... what, it's what we've got to live with, and and there's so much more. There's so much more um, accessible. You know, it's so great that we can. 
we can offer we can offer classes to you know yeah. all sorts of people from many different parts of the world who wouldn't otherwise access them which is great yeah yeah okay yeah. i'm very conscious of the time so yeah. once again a huge thank you trish for this yes, evening sir. session and a good that Thank you to all the OMF people in the background who have been supporting the session. Yeah. Uh, a reminder that uh, Trish is doing some other workshops for us, going into the, this in more depth. So we've got teaching mindfulness-based groups in um, later on, two times three-hour sessions later this month. Everybody should have had the details and the booking instructions in their emails. And later on as well in the year, we've got a CPD workshop, Deepening Inquiry in the Mindfulness-Based Group. Again, that information was in the email confirming your attendance, and we'll send it out to you again by email at the end of this session. Thank you, everybody, for coming here. You are welcome now to unmute and say goodbye in the OMF tradition in whatever language feels most appropriate to you. Thank you so much. So goodbye, talk, everybody. And